Brandon, it's that time of year. We will actually have college football games being played this weekend. How does that make one feel? Well, you're not sick and tired of talking about hypothetical realignment and expansion <laughs> and everybody else getting rich in the world than, than you, other than you. That's right. great, isn't it? Yeah, fortunately for uh, I don't know necessarily that we've got to spend as much time uh, on it as someone like you does because we could stick to, to a lot of the Auburn angles and that sort of thing. But, man, it really is going to be a breath of fresh air uh, with these games being played. And one of the big ones, we've got a conference game in Ireland. Like, how do things like this come together? Well, money, again, always <laughs> money. Um, and I'll tell you what, the coaches hate it. They don't like it. They don't <laughs> like doing this. They don't like playing the game there. I mean, the equipment managers, I mean, goodness gracious, uh, Nebraska is shipping over 15,000 pounds of equipment uh, this week over to Ireland. There's no telling how much money that's costing them. And they got to wor- worry about some of that stuff getting back in time for their week one game. No doubt. And they're, and they're worried about that themselves. So, you know, as much as the coaches are preparing for the game, of course, they're, all the logistics of it just can be an absolute nightmare. They've been preparing for this for like two years. But, uh, yeah, just uh, it's, um, it's a money thing. And it also it's funny because some of the locals over there, in fact, I think a local paper was just wrote, someone wrote a column there. It was just absolutely scathing the idea of there being a foot, college football game played there. Um, talking about how it was just uh, despicable in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I, I hate to not I'm try, I sound like I'm cynical or whatever, but it's just like no one really wants to play the game there, even including the people who live there in Ireland. It's really strange to think about, right? We see a lot of these professional leagues trying to expand uh, outside of the United States, but then it feels like over the past few seasons we've seen a couple of these college football games all of a sudden not being played on u.s soil and that's just it just does not make any sense whatsoever but hey we talk dollar signs and then i I guess you start to do some things that you're not traditionally used to seeing yeah it sounds like something larry scott the former pac-12 commissioner would have come up with and then followed through with but like a lot of things he talked about like playing games and overseas it never came to fruition so at least only have to worry about this with the big 10 i i think those days of uh college football games being played overseas those are about to end if yeah. i had to had to take a bet on anything well then enjoy it this weekend we'll see who has the luck of the irish between nebraska and northwestern i know uh, auburn folks are going to be glued to the television watching that one it, it just means football's back we're chatting with brandon marcello from 24 7 sports and talking auburn tigers still got to figure out who this starting quarterback is going to be i know coach harson will meet with the media a little bit later today and you'd figure it's got to be any day now where there's going to be some sort of announcement in regards to a starting quarterback, Brandon, right? I would think so. Um, you know, I've been com- keeping up with the, all the quarterback races. There's been, as of right now, 104 starters named and 27 jobs still open in the FBS. So Auburn's one of those those select few, one of those select 27 that have yet to name a starter. Certainly, I'm sure you guys have talked about plenty. It certainly sounds like it's going to be T.J. Finley, which... You know, it's a, this off season's been a very weird uh, way of doing all that running just to go back to where you started, um, using the transfer portal, getting guys like obviously Zach Calzada and then Robbie Ashford and Bo Nix leaving the program to go to Oregon, and and here we are, T.J. Finley, who played late last season, might end up being your guy anyway. Which you know, I'm not knocking the guy. It's just man, for all the talk and hypotheticals everybody talks about. 
uh, everybody's back at square one um, there at Auburn. And, you know, I'm interested to see how that goes. I, I think a lot of people, you look at the schedule, it's very possible they start 5-0 and this season. The, the back half of that schedule, however, is just incredibly difficult. But um, T.J. Finley is the type of quarterback they'll be able to navigate some of those uh, those tough early season games and might not be a good idea, obviously, to throw a guy in there who's relatively new at the offense. And in Zach Calzada's instance, for example, someone who's obviously still recovering a bit from his shoulder issues. And Brandon, I want to ask you a little bit of a, a different question here because I know this goes a few weeks into the season, but um, I want to look at that Penn State game because you mentioned the possibility of a, of a big start for Auburn. Obviously, that game against Penn State and then LSU will be the, the key ones there. When it comes to Penn State, Brandon, I, I feel like I remember at the end when, when everyone does the way too early top 25s, um, Penn State was ranked in the top 15, it felt like, in those. And now we see, as the season's ready, the AP poll, uh, and I think coaches poll, but at least the AP poll not ranked. Uh, what, what was their offseason like to translate from, I think a lot of people felt they would be ranked, to being unranked, and all of a sudden, they're just a couple spots ahead of Auburn in that preseason AP voting, and, and it feels like Auburn uh, should absolutely value their, their chance in that game. Yeah, it's interesting you mention all that. I think that there's a quite a disparity of people of what side they believe of Penn State this year. Um, Penn State in that bowl game they played just looked completely listless. Obviously, they were dealing with some missing parts, but so was Arkansas in that game. They were without, I think, their top receiver, Traylon Burke. So, you know, it's one of those situations where you look at Penn State, you look at what they've got coming back. I honestly think that Penn State this year is going to be better than they were last year, which is easy to say because of their record. But at least going into this year, I feel much more confident in their running game, especially with the five-star running back they've got there on campus who looks like he's going to end up being their guy. Um, I know Sean Clifford gets, you know, just pushed, pushed aside a lot because he hasn't been very dynamic. They lose, obviously, a just amazing receiver, but they've got a lot of guys coming back on that side of the ball. And I think the question for me is, can that offensive line hold up? And then also their defensive front. I think they'll be just fine in the secondary. In fact, I've got Penn State, in the, as far as Big Ten teams, Penn State matches up the best with Ohio State and is the biggest threat to knock off Ohio State within the Big Ten, in my opinion, this season. Not to say it's going to happen, but just the matchups and the personnel they have in that defensive secondary matches up pretty well with a goodness gracious otherworldly receiver group that Ohio State has. So going into that uh, game, I think, if you know, I'm sure there's probably already preseason lines for that type of game. I'd honestly, it'd almost be like a pick to me since it's at Auburn, and maybe I would slightly favor Auburn. But, you know, at this point, that's, a, that's kind of a coin flip game to me. And again, a big reason why I think it's very possible that Auburn starts 5-0 and um, because LSU uh, is having some issues, obviously. They lost a lot of guys, even dating back to midseason last season when uh, Ed O was on his way out. So uh, there's some really good opportunities here for Auburn to feel its way through and get through some growing pains, but also be able to lean on a quote-unquote veteran quarterback like T.J. Finley, who obviously understands the offense, the pieces around him, and can navigate some of these uh, early season landmines, which, to be quite honest, are not nearly as big, even if it is Penn State and LSU, as what faces them on the back half of that, of that schedule with the likes of LSU, A&M, and 
obviously Alabama. Well, and, and then and Georgia. <laughs> sure, yeah, in the, in the sixth game of the year. And look, Brady, I mean, obviously there's conversations about what Brian Harson needs to do record-wise this year, that and the other thing. But if you're just looking for a situation which Auburn has this season, it can feel good about. Is it that Penn State game that's like the, fir- like the first really big that's that needs to be a win type of game or is it LSU in the fifth game obviously don't want to even discount Missouri in week four obviously a lot of Auburn people checking that off as a win but Missouri has its own coach that needs to have a good year this year uh so like I I guess the question is which one of those kind of first three uh big FBS games does Auburn need to have circled as it needs to be a win Hmm, that's a great question. I, I would say LSU because LSU is probably not going to be a top 25 team this season, though I think they've got a chance. Penn State probably will be for most of the season, or at least should be because of the pieces they have coming back. Um, so you can chalk up an early season loss to Penn State that's ran, a Penn State team that's maybe ranked to, okay, it's a little bit more difficult than an LSU team near the mid of this middle of the season that's breaking in a lot of new pieces and obviously a new coaching staff and it's at Auburn so maybe that game but I see both games actually pretty similar in a lot of ways uh you lose both I think uh uh that that sets you up for disaster uh, in the back half uh, of that schedule and it's just no good vibes the rest of the way potentially all right, let's look at the the rest of the SEC again, Brandon. And, and we've uh, we've had so many great conversations with people that just have all sorts of opinions. Because I mean, to be quite honest, it feels two through seven uh, in the West, two two through I don't know five in the East, all just a varying amount of opinions. What is the most intriguing situation to you when you're looking at the middle of the SEC, potentially the top middle of the SEC? What what team is most intriguing as as their ceiling and floor, and as they try and sort themselves out and get towards the top of the league well tennessee in the east is really intriguing to me because they remind me a lot of old Miss going into last season where they had an incredible offense a really great quarterback as far as touchdown interception ratio with him and hooker there at tennessee problem is the defense was just absolutely atrocious at times for the balls last season in fact it was one of the worst uh in college football on third downs they just couldn't get off the field and that killed them especially in that one overtime or that one loss they had against Ole Miss with the mustard bottles being thrown on the field. Get off the field a couple times on third down, they win that game, and that season has a much different tenor, even though that season was pretty successful in Heupel's first year. So if that defense can just improve slightly, I'd like them to kind of do what Ole Miss did last season and maybe contend and maybe win 10 games this year if they get some breaks. Um, but that defense has got to be better, especially on third down and the offense got to continue clicking the way it, the way it was last season. So a lot of ifs there. I think the team kind of with like maybe the highest ceiling and the lowest floor as far as win total is probably Ole Miss in the SEC. Um, I still don't quite know what to expect out of them. I mean, they haven't even named a starting quarterback yet, which is interesting to me. Um, there's, they had to fill a lot of roster spots on both offense and defense via the transfer portal. I think a lot of people just sat back and assumed, well, it's just a reload. They're going to bring them all in. These guys have experience. Zach Evans is a really great running back from TCU, which I agree. Um, they'll be able to figure things out at quarterback despite losing, I, I think, the, obviously the best quarterback they've had since Eli Manning. And as far as fitting a system, was about as good as a phase you can get in the Lane Kiffin offense. So how do you repeat what you did last season to win 10 games? I'm not sure you could even 
with a great quarterback, to be quite honest, because it's got to just be the right fit. And so maybe Ole Miss might be a team that could win nine games this year, but it might also be one that could win five, maybe four, if things just go south. Now, I think it'll be somewhere in between, maybe maybe more like a seven-win team this year. But I think there's way too many question marks about the Rebels right now for a lot of people just to kind of sit there and assume to actually put them like maybe third in the SEC West right now behind you know, Alabama and maybe Texas A&M. Brandon, you may have just answered this next question there when you're talking about Ole Miss, but I wanted to get your thoughts on who in the in the Southeastern Conference do you think could be the biggest disappointment this year? Whew, biggest disappointment. You know, no one likes to talk about Kentucky football, even though they're just consistently good under Mark Stoops, and they're winning nine games, eight games, ten games. I, I think Kentucky could maybe be that team that's disappointing. It could maybe – maybe just win six games this year, which, I mean, any other year before the Stoops era would have been pretty good, but yeah. that would be a bit of a disappointment there, especially with the pieces they got back. Will Levis, a quarterback. Uh, their defense is always good under Mark Stoops. You always count on that, but I think there's a potential there for them to have a little bit of a step back this season and maybe be in that six to seven win range. I've seen some people saying maybe they win 10 this year or maybe even more, which is nuts to me, and I think that, the, that they've got some difficult things and games to, to, to kind of match up with. And as I said, I think Tennessee's going to take a step forward this year. I think Florida's going to take a step forward this year just by uh, the, the, the fact that Anthony Richardson is going to be the quarterback and they're probably going to stick with him instead of just trying to pick and choose what, how they utilize him like they did last season under Dan Mullen. And obviously the things kind of fell apart there near the end of the season. So um, I think Kentucky – could potentially have that uh, disappointment tag on them. Brendan Marcello is our guest here on Sports Call. You can follow him on Twitter, at BMarcello. The time is always greatly appreciated, Brandon. Let us know about a story that you're working on or something that folks should be aware of coming out from you here soon. Yeah, I've got, uh, we call it our ultimate college football preview coming out next week. And then uh, I'm actually working on this whole thing. I mentioned I've been tracking all the quarterback battles. I'm looking at some uh, interesting trends as far as how many quarterbacks are, uh, were on campus a year ago, how many weren't, and why they're the starter where they're at right now. It's a very interesting time because of the transfer portal. No doubt. We'll be on the lookout for it and reading it at 247sports.com. Thanks for the time as always, Brandon. Good to catch up. All right. Thanks, guys.